0: So, if uh, I haven't met you yet, my name is Anna. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, it's an absolute joy and delight to continue this Advent series that we're in at the moment. And it was uh, Thursday. We actually were having a fun kind of celebration day with our Year 12s who are graduating. And uh, what we normally do is we take this group of Year 12s and we do a scavenger hunt all over the Gold Coast and. We have them trekking up mountains and feeding animals and all sorts of things. And it's, it's like initiation into young adults. Um, but if you can remember the weather on Thursday it wasn't very conducive to a scavenger hunt around the Gold Coast. And so we had to get creative and we are spending heaps of time chatting with them. But um, there was a moment where we asked them, you know, what are you going to do with all of this free time? And a lot of them said how they're excited to be able to watch a TV show without that looming guilt of study. And we were talking about TV show recommendations and all of that. Um, And it, it made us wonder and to think that, recommending a TV show is always a very vulnerable space to be in because, you know, you're putting it out there that, oh, there's this amazing show and uh, people may not feel the same. And so I think it's quite vulnerable. Um, And I remember back to a few years ago, uh, one of my friends, uh, who is actually a colleague, but... um, They recommended a TV show to me. And in the moment, I remember wondering, is this a show for me? Because this was the description that they gave me. Oh, Anna, you'll love it. It's about an American football coach who, instead of uh, coaching football in the US, decides to coach football in the UK and uh, coaches this incredible team, Richmond, and, and you'll just love it. And I kind of just stood there and I just thought, I wonder what makes them think that I would like that show. What is it about me that thinks, oh, I love football? Anyway, um, it is the World Cup at the moment. And so it is necessary to tie that in, um, even though our sweet team didn't make it this morning, who was up to watch the game early. I'm impressed you're still awake. Let's try and keep it that way. Um, so anyway, this TV show is, is, I have actually learnt to like the TV show and I watched it three years later, it just took me that long. Uh, but I wanna to explain to you a little bit about what happens and why this TV show is so interesting. It's because we see this single person being able to change the whole culture and the whole morale of a team Um, a business, a supporter group and then what people would stretch it out to say a nation and to say that he is able to cultivate this incredible change in people and I want to read to you a quote, Uh, it's kind of his first pep talk, I love a good pep talk, I often give myself pep talks Um, but I love a good pep talk because it makes you rise to something, it makes you think about something And, and it always has some good leading questions that make you wonder. Uh, And so one of the things is he gets his team around him who naturally hate him because he's from the US and this UK team gets around him and they're all grumbling and and he opens with this speech. He has a very thick American accent of which I'm not going to do. Um, But he says this, you can use your imagination. He says, you all have a saying out here that I'm not too crazy about. The saying is, it's the hope that kills you. I disagree. I think it's the lack of hope that comes to get you. See, I believe in hope. I believe in believe. See, where I'm from, we have a saying too. Yep, well, it's a question actually. Do you believe in miracles? I don't know what your answer to that is, but I do want you to have a think about it yourself. Right now, do you believe in miracles? And if you do, then I want you to circle up with me right now. Let's go. And they all huddle. You can picture it in the locker room and, and chant and get excited about this. But I, I tell this kind of story this morning because I think it, it asks a question that us leading into Christmas is really important to ask. Do you believe in hope? And this Advent series, we've been walking through the difference between uh, or the, the themes of joy and peace and now hope and next week love. And this question this morning of do we believe in hope is really important to ask. Because at Christmas we, ask, we, we wonder about all sorts of things, right? We, we believe in all sorts of things. Some people will believe in Santa and ask the questions of that, little ones. Um, or they'll say, well, I don't know if I believe that there would be a God who would send his son as a baby. I don't know if I believe that. Or I don't know if I believe that this baby would raise up to be a man who then claims to be the son of God and who is the Messiah and we wonder if we believe that Um, and so there's lots of questions around belief at Christmas time and so I think it's a great place to start where we're asking ourselves a question of of do we believe in hope do you believe in hope this morning is that something that is true in your life and in your heart today we're going to jump into a scripture. It's Luke chapter 2 and uh, it kind of happens just after we have the birth of Jesus and um, some of the things that we've been unpacking already about the shepherds and the wise men and the manger and all of that. Um, But we find ourselves today in Luke chapter 2 and maybe it's a little bit of a lesser well-known story and it's rather long so I hope that you stick with me. It's going to be on the screen but I'd love for you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. We see these These people who are fueled by hope. These people who are inspirational to us this morning. All right, let's jump in. Chapter 2, verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Okay, let's just pause here. Um, And I promise I'm not going to do this the whole way through the very long passage this morning. But uh, I just want to acknowledge the the type of writing that we are reading here. It seems very specific. There's a lot of names and places and laws. um, And it's important to remember that our author here, Luke, is a physician. He is one who likes to write in a very historical, matter-of-fact kind of way. And I want to highlight that this morning because for some people to actually step over um, into the idea of being able to believe in hope or to be able to believe in Jesus, um, some people need to step over the big hurdle of even starting to believe in the Bible. And uh, people might say that at Christmas, oh, it's all just a bunch of nice stories and uh, it's quite mythological, and, um, but it's not, it's not scientific or it's not very true. And we're not going to go down that whole line of reasoning this morning, um, but I do want to say if that is you this morning, if, if it's going to take a lot for you to kind of come to a place of believing that the Bible is true, please do some research because I would just say the Bible holds up for itself. It is such a historical account that even people who don't believe in God would say there's a lot of truth in the historical nature of the Bible. And so it's not mythological in its language. We're not reading here about some fantasy places. Um, These are real places. These are real people. uh, And it's important to start with the fact that this isn't a made-up story. This is, in fact, a historical account about what happened in the early stages of Jesus' life. Okay, enough of that. We get into verse 24. So they've come to Jerusalem, it says, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, they offer a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. I'm kidding, (laughs) this is so long. Okay, no one laughed, awesome. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people, Israel. So this kind of the setting of the scene this morning, we've been introduced to Simeon. And uh, I don't know about you, but towards the end of the year, my brain is a little bit fried and I can be feeling a little bit weary. Anyone else? Yes. Okay, well, I decided to make it real easy and simple for us this morning with three points that all start with the same letter. They're all one word so that you can remember them. Does that sound good? You are welcome. All right, they're gonna be on the screen here. So we have hope is a promise, hope is a person, and hope is a place. Three things promise, person, and place this morning. If you don't remember anything else, remember those three things. So as I said, we have this man, first we're going to start with a promise. We have this man called Simeon, right? And we know that he is righteous, he's devout, and the Holy Spirit is on him. What has the Holy Spirit revealed? The fact that in Simeon's lifetime, he will see the Messiah come. That is a big promise. And it's easy for us to think, oh, sounds about right. Well, yeah, Jesus is coming about this time and he'll That'll be fine. But let's remember the kind of context that this promise was given to Simeon. He was alive during this time of what's called 400 years of silence. This idea that there was a gap between uh, these beautiful, very big, obvious works of the Lord and then 400 years until we pick up in the New Testament again. And so that's generations upon generations of having to rely on the testimony of others and the prophecies and promises of a long time ago. And so Simeon is here in this 400 year span,ce and I wonder how his hope and his faith and his trust is going. I wonder how this promise that he will see a Messiah in his lifetime, I wonder if it's getting diluted by the sense of time that's going on and by the sense of of silence that may be apparent. And so I don't think it was an easy time for him to hold on to that hope. And I wonder for us, if there's some of us who have felt like there has been a long time waiting and there's been a long time where our hope might be diminishing. But I want to be inspired and encouraged by Simeon this morning that the fact that he held on to this hope. He had this, this promise that the Lord had given to him through the Holy Spirit that he was eager and waiting to see. Because what I know about hope is that we can be hope-filled for the promises of God because God is faithful to what he says. He's faithful to his promises. And, and we just want to be obedient and listening and aware and awake to see when they happen. And so I love what Eugene Peterson writes about hope. He says this, It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. And then this is the tricky part. It is a willingness to let God do it in his way and in his time. His way and his time. So what did that mean for Simeon? In God's way was to bring the hope of the world, Jesus, in the form of a baby. Do you think Simeon would have thought that that's how the Messiah was going to come? that the Messiah who was going to overturn the Roman government and to be this warrior and this this saviour to his people, do you think that Simeon thought, okay, well, God's plan for that will be in the form of a baby? Interesting. And there were prophecies of old that proclaimed to this. But I I wonder if Simeon really thought that that's how it was going to happen. And the awareness for us is that hope is a promise, but it might look a bit different than what we, what we think it may, what we perceive or what we project. Hope is having that confident and alert willingness to see God do what only he can do in his timing and in his way. It's very challenging. But what we see is Simeon, he actually then, he acknowledged the promise of God, right? In verse 29, it says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Sovereign Lord, I have seen what you've been telling me about. I recognise your faithfulness. I can see this to be true. Hope is a promise. And if your hope is wavering this morning, let me encourage you to be reminded of the promises of God. Search all through Scripture and you'll see these amazing promises of God. And sometimes we're hoping for things that aren't necessarily promises of God. We're hoping for things that uh, maybe what, what we would like to see happen or maybe things that we, we perceive God may be saying, but always back it up in the truth of Scripture and have that wise counsel around with people around you. So hope number one is a promise. Hope number two is a person. And I'd love to introduce you to the next uh, character that we have in this passage, the next person, um, So picking up in verse 36, we have, there was also a prophet, Anna. Hello, that's me. Um, The daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Okay, not me anymore. Um, She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple courts, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, so it's Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Okay, a few things about Anna. So in that day and age, uh, women got married very young. And so you can think that as a young girl who was married, after seven years with her husband, then she was widowed and now she's 84. That's a lot of years. doesn't matter what culture or context or time or era, becoming a widow is heartbreaking and devastating and no one's first plan or hope. And so what we can see here is... Anna could have been someone, and probably was at times, someone who was filled with maybe hopelessness. She may have had such a sense of despair at times. In this particular culture, being a widow meant that you were also an outcast. You had no sense of financial stability. You had no sense of of place or purpose in that sense. And in this era, it was not something that you would wish upon anyone. And so what we see here is someone who, for every circumstantial reason, had, had every reason to be hopeless, actually instead of sitting back and, and being filled with despair, instead she lent in. And what do we see her do? Respond in action. I love how inspirational this is. We can follow her example. What she did is she spent every day and night worshiping God in the temple, She withdrew from food in order to draw near to God. And she also cultivated this relationship through prayer. You know, some people think that hoping for something is just sitting back and just waiting for it to happen. But what we see here instead is how important it is to position yourself well where you're waiting for this hope to come to position yourself in a place where you're going to be upheld by community, to be able to be pointed to the truth and the goodness that is found within God. And so the example that we see in Anna is this willingness to be present and to be aware of what God might be doing. And I actually think that's why she was so able and ready to be able to see the promise that was found in Jesus. She was able to, at that moment, even though she was there all the time, at that moment when uh, Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus came to the temple, she was aware and able to say, wait a minute, that child is actually the hope of the world. That child has come to restore things, to redeem us, to bring a new salvation, not only to Jerusalem here, but then what we learned to the rest of the world. And so I wondered though, if, if people were looking for hope, and looking for redemption, they, they, they didn't see it in terms of another ritual to do in their law. They didn't see it as, as a certain prayer to pray or a, a certain a, a task to tick off. What we see here for redemption was that it actually in fact came as a child. And that child was Jesus. And he lived a life that then led him to a, a horrific death, but order to give us an amazing hope. And so this, this place of, this place of worship led her to a place of being able to see the hope that was found in a person, the hope that was found in Jesus. And we pursue things all the time, right? In our kind of day and age, we, we hope for new jobs, new promotions, uh, things to happen in our family, in our houses. Uh, There's all things that we put our hope in. um, But I think what's been really beautiful in this Advent season and this series is that we've seen that uh, what, what we find in Jesus is so superior and so much more than what we would find just in this world. Let me explain what I mean. In week one of this series, Michael opened up and he talked about joy. Do you remember? He spoke about joy and the idea that the joy that we have in Jesus far supersedes what we have uh, through the world or without Jesus, which would be happiness. The world longs for a taste. When I say the world, I mean like people who don't know or have a relationship with Jesus, people who are yet to be able to experience the, the more that's found in Christ. And so people in the world, they, um, or people without Jesus, they might long for, for joy, but they actually just experience happiness. Nothing wrong with happiness, but when you compare it with joy, oh, it's only dipping your toe in the pool. So then next, the next week, Jason, this was last week, Jason was preaching on peace and saying that with Jesus, we experience deep, deep peace, regardless of circumstance. But sometimes the world mistakes that for calm and just settles for a sense of calm rather than a sense of peace. And this week, when we're looking at hope, I think what the world can sometimes confuse hope with is optimism. If I can just muster up enough positive attitude towards something, I might see something change. Or if I can just, in myself, be positive-minded or put good thoughts out there or to muster up this this positivity and, and optimism, then what I'm hoping for will come true. And I just think the... The lack that's found in optimism, optimism is great. We, don't, we, we love to see people hope-filled. But the thing is, optimism happens in here. You have to muster it up. You have to cultivate that all yourself. It's internal. But hope, hope is external. Hope doesn't matter how much energy or mustering up you have to do. Hope is found in a person and that person is Jesus. Let me read to you a, a quote from Philip Yancey. He makes this distinction between hope and optimism so beautiful for us. He says this, hope waits expectantly for good results. Sorry, got you there, didn't I? Optimism waits expectantly for good results, whereas hope summons us to actively join the larger cause. It's actually something bigger and beyond us. Hope is something internal, sorry, optimism, <laughs> I'm getting confused. Optimism is something internal, whereas hope is external. It's, it's Jesus actually pulling us into something that is beyond us. A.W. Tozer, I said, I'm quoting all my favourites this morning. Um, if you would like a really good light read, um, don't read Tozer. Uh, so A.W. Tozer, he says this, the Christians hope is sound because it's founded upon the character of God and the redeeming work of his son Jesus Christ. For this reason, Peter could call it a living hope. That's found in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. It is living because it rests on the reality, on reality and not fancy. It is not wishful dreaming, but vital expectation, with the whole might of the Most High behind it. Can you picture that? The whole might. Hope has the whole might of the Most High, of Jesus, behind it. It's strong. It's powerful. So my question to us this morning is, have we been confusing optimism for hope? Have we been thinking it's all on us? Have we been trying to muster up optimism when instead we should rest on the fact that we have hope with the whole host of heaven behind it? you know that hope is a person this morning. And that's very good news, right? It's good news to know that we don't have to do it all ourselves. But what I have seen a consistency in what Jesus talks about in the kingdom of God is he uses the examples and it's so comforting, right? He uses these examples that only you only need the tiniest little bit of something and allow God to grow it into something magnificent. You only need... A tiny little mustard seed of faith in order for God to use it. You only need a tiny little bit of yeast in order to see the whole thing change. These beautiful pictures of the kingdom of God are always, you only need a little bit and allow God to do the rest. And the same is with hope, right? We only need to have our attention and our affection fixed on Jesus to then allow Him to do the rest. Hope is a promise, hope is a person. And lastly, hope is a place. I want to finish uh, our kind of time together this morning with this third point of hope is a place because it gives us somewhere to look. It it draws our attention to something that is to come. And I'm very guilty of this, but it's very easy to get so caught up in the day-to-day, the week-to-week, hello, it's Christmas already, it's so easy to get caught up in that and lose sight of eternity, lose sight of what is to come, lose sight of the promise and the hope that we have in heaven. And I, I'm, I don't know if I'm the only one, but sometimes I find my life living so with my gaze fixed on what's around me and not actually on what's to come. And it's not to say that we don't love well in the present and do life with people well um, but there is a call for us to remember where our hope is and where we're heading. And so uh, I think that the, the picture that I love to hold on to is found in Revelation 24. It says this, talking about Jesus, he says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away and the new is to come. That's a picture that draws me close to it. It, it draws my attention. But it also, it also lifts my hope. When I think about what is to come, it affects how I live now. It gives me a framework in how to understand or to endure through suffering and pain and things that are complex and, and painful. It gives me an understanding to, to see that that's not actually my forever, that there's a promise that uh, there will be a place without suffering, there'll be a place without pain, without brokenness, without burden. There's a place where we will have new bodies. There's a place where there will be no sickness. That's something that I eagerly long and wait for. That's something that I am so hope-filled by, to know that this isn't our forever home, But actually, we're on journey to somewhere that is so exquisite, that's so beautiful. And the verse that we probably all know by memory, but maybe sometimes we don't always live from or or have in the forefront of our mind, is our classic John 3.16, right? At Christmas time, this, I think, this verse comes to life because... We remember that God, out of his love for the world, sent his son Jesus in the form of a baby at Christmas time so that we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. For Christ did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And so I think that that idea of eternal life is something that we need to be propelled by, something that we need to be called into let it affect how we live in the present. And we have some pastoral, like in our pastoral team, we're always exposed and have actually the joy and the, the um, delight and privilege of being able to walk through people with, with really tough things. When life is not going well, it's often a time where our community can draw close and to pray with you and to um, see if there's anything that you need. And, and our world, this church, our community is not void of tough circumstances. Um, It's not void of people going through really heartbreaking situations, stretching challenges, um, terrible health scares and and long walks of recovery or, you know, all of the things that you can imagine that go on with life and death and everything in between. Um, But what I'm constantly inspired by, what I'm inspired by through Anna's story here in in the scriptures as well, is the people who get through that with hope in their eyes is because they know where they're heading. They, they're not getting consumed with what's in the present, but they actually have an anchor. There's a, a beautiful scripture that says that we have a hope that is our anchor for our soul. And that anchor means that regardless of what life throws at us, regardless of what you're walking through, that you have this anchor, this firm foundation, this promise, this companionship, this person of Jesus with you through it all. And I was listening to a sermon that Judah Smith did years ago, but it stuck with me because it's such a beautiful picture and I'd love to share it with you. But quite often, instead of wanting an anchor for our soul, we would prefer a helicopter with a ladder. And he says it because when you're in a storm on a ship, Why would you want an anchor? Why would you want to stay there? Rather, we picture God as having this helicopter that rolls down a ladder and that we can crawl up to get out of there. But anyone who's going through suffering knows that that's that's escapism. That's a fantasy, to hope to just get whisked out of it, but rather what we have in Christ is we have this sure foundation, this anchor for our soul that regardless of the wind and the waves and the storm of life, we know that we're going to be okay because we are tethered and anchored to Christ. That is hope, my friends. That is the hope and the good news of the gospel. C.S. Lewis, he says this, Sadly, many of us are so tethered to this world and the things it offers that we scarcely take thought of the world to come. Yet, it is precisely by reflecting often on the joys, beauties and satisfactions of eternal life in the world to come that we find a hope that empowers us to live fully for Christ today. Having a picture of what is to come helps us to live fully today. I finish with this passage as well. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Hope is a place. Hope is a place that we're headed. Hope is a place that we can fix our eyes and our attention on to know that it will then help us through whatever today brings. Hope is a promise. It's a person found in Jesus. And it's a place in heaven where we're headed. It's good news. We have hope this Christmas. Would you pray with me as I close? love to pray this verse over us. It's found in Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Lord, that's our prayer this morning, that you would fill us until we're overflowing, that we would be so aware of the hope that we have in you, that it will overflow to all those around us, that they, may get, that they may get a glimpse of who you are through us, Lord. And God, I'm, I'm acutely aware that there are people here in this room, people watching online, who have a sense of hopelessness, that maybe circumstances seem too much, where they're too weary, where they've waited too long. Lord I thank you for the truth that we find in your word that you are a faithful God that you promise to never leave us or forsake us, that you are with us Lord I pray that that promise alone will fill us with hope and God for those who are just intrigued by you they might be um, curious or, or thinking that maybe god is someone that they want to believe in and to follow lord as they're here with us today lord i pray that they will know that hope is not found in anything else other than in jesus that you are our hope that christ in us is actually the hope of the world and so lord i pray as uh, we close out this service with communion and worship lord continue to draw them to yourself Continue to show them that every other door that they've pushed on to try and find hope will not satisfy them the way that you do. Because in you and through your salvation and through your just relationship with you, Lord, we're able to have hope for the future. Hope to know where we're going. Hope to know that there will be a day where everything is made new again where all is made right. And Lord, we long for that day. Sustain us through what we're walking through at the moment. Give us a beautiful hope this Christmas, Lord, as we draw our attention on the beginnings. And Lord, I pray as we are filled with hope that we also receive your joy, your peace and your love as it abounds to all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.